Wednesday night, if you're a part of the Trinity family and you were here, we preached a message on three parts of the cross, three evident truths that we find in the gospel. The calamity or the disaster of the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the greatest crime ever committed that God's son, God's only son, Jesus, would be nailed to a tree. We talked about the comedy of the cross, how the people who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus made it a light-hearted joke to mock him, to laugh at him. And they titled the name of their comedy, This is the King of the Jews. It wasn't to honor him or to show him respect or reverence. It was to make a joke of his torment on the cross. And then we examined the completion of the cross. Uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, that moment where he gives up the ghost, he dies, he controls the timeline. That moment sent a ripple effect through all of time and eternity. And what it did was change redemptive history forever and forever. And now today, 2,000 plus years later, we gather on a Sunday morning to celebrate the fact that Jesus is no longer crucified, no longer is he in a grave. There are no bones nor DNA segments to be examined to prove that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, died that day and stayed dead. Rather, I would take the sorrow and the weight, the burden, the disaster, the calamity of Calvary, and I would point your attention to Revelation chapter one, where Jesus gives a description of himself, a self-proclaimed bio captured in the Revelation of John. It's in Revelation 17, the first part of that verse into verse 18. And I think instead of waiting to the end of the service till halfway through the message, I think we'll just let Jesus say exactly what happened that day and that no matter if you stop listening after this, you'll leave here with this knowledge. It'll be seared in your heart and seared in your mind that no matter what men may say, no matter what scoffers may say, no matter what the culture may say, Jesus is alive. His words in Revelation 1:17, fear not. What a refreshing thing to hear today in a day of fear. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And then Jesus in heaven said these words, amen. And I have the keys of hell and I have the keys of death. Your Jesus is alive, he's well, and he's on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Praise his holy name. If you don't take anything else from this sermon today, if you take nothing else home with you, take the fact that Jesus is alive and he's exactly who he said he was. We could close the service and say amen, but rather Jesus gives you today an opportunity, a chance to make it personal, an opportunity for you to respond in a personal way. You see, it doesn't matter how many people in your family are Christians, 
It doesn't matter what your grandparents believe or what they say they believe. Rather, it matters what you believe and what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll take a few minutes to explore God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. And God, we thank you for this day that you've given us together. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in this building. God, for our e-church that's watching literally around the world. Lord, I pray that you would bless them this holy Easter day. Lord, I pray that you would encourage hearts. God, that you would open minds. And Father, that you would push back distraction for just a few moments. Lord, I thank you for the cross of Calvary. But Lord, we leave Calvary now. And now we go and we find no body and no bones in an empty grave. And Lord, we say thank you. God, I pray that as I preach this morning, you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, that no one here or watching would see a man, but rather they would see Jesus for who he is and for what he is. Bring peace and hope to our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we all pray together. Amen. If we go back in history and you examine especially European artists, the 1500s, the 1600s, and even into the 1700s, you'll notice something in European depictions of Jesus. You'll notice a Jesus that seems to be fragile. You'll see the paintings and you'll see a Jesus that may even seem weak in his disposition or the way he's painted on the canvas. Jesus is not a weak character. Jesus is not a fragile character. You say, well, Jesus was killed, he was captured, he was betrayed, uh, all speaks of weakness. Uh, rather, I would submit to you that Jesus in those elements of who he is and what he accomplished while on this earth, all of those things were not done or accomplished in weakness or fragility. Rather, those things were accomplished for your behalf and on your benefit in power and great authority. And if I go back to the Gospels and I notice what Jesus said about himself, notice what Jesus says. If you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even into Acts, if you'll notice Jesus and the way he is talked about, even the way he talks of himself, you'll notice that Jesus describes a lot about his power, his glory. He talks a lot about his father, his deity. And today, as we celebrate Easter, Easter, in its essence, is all about power. It's all about authority. It's all about capability that's above and beyond human understanding or human capacity. Easter is one of the most marvelous days that has ever come to fruition. It may be the most marvelous day that humankind has access to because of the power of God. Jesus was not a weak person. Jesus was not a weak character. Rather, he was all God and all man living a sinless and perfect life on this earth. At the end of the day, our faith rests on Easter. If there is no Easter, if Jesus died and he never self-resurrected or self-extricated from that grave, and his body just began to deteriorate and decompose, and if today he is dead, then there is no reason for you to be here today with a beautiful tie or a beautiful shirt or dress or whatever you're wearing, close your Bible and hit the door. There's no point in being here. But because Jesus is alive and because he is well, all over the world today, expectant hearts, believing hearts, real hearts indwelled by a real God can stand up with all authority and all confidence that today Jesus is alive. 
That is not a Jesus who is weak. That is not a Jesus who is fragile. Rather, that is a Jesus who is powerful and who has all authority. And may I mention this? If you allow culture, especially American culture, to define who Jesus is for you, if you allow anything other than God's holy inspired word to define what Jesus is for you, then I'm afraid that as I say the name Jesus, you may have an unauthentic picture of who he really is. I go to the scripture and I find a Jesus who said that men must believe if they wanna see the Father. I see a Jesus that said, if you love me, you'll obey me in my commandments. I see a Jesus that said, pick up your cross and follow me. That's not a popular message in 2022. Our generation, the generation that's represented in our 30s and maybe some of us even in our 40s, we represent a generation of instant gratification. Give it to me now. I don't want the calluses of hard work and labor to get it, just give it to me. That's not even a Christian lifestyle. Jesus said, if you want to be mine, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. A cross is heavy. A cross is burdensome. A cross will rub sore places upon your shoulder as you carry it. Life can be very difficult at best, even for good godly Christian people. The point is our hope today is not in the ebb and the flow of what culture is and society is. Rather, our hope today is in this Jesus who has all authority and who has all power. It's important even for you to understand, even if you're here today and you're skeptical, in the resurrection. Even if you're here today and you do not believe that a Jesus ever existed, contrary to even secular historians, then today may I introduce to you a Jesus who has great power, great authority, and in that power and in that authority completed a resurrection rescue. The power of God is most vividly seen in the day of Easter because mankind has access to the greatest miracle ever to happen. Jesus loves you today, he cares for you, and he wants you to hear this incredible story and this message of truth. Before I became a pastor, before I surrendered full-time to ministry, I spent about 12 years in fire, EMS, emergency management, I loved it, I loved being a part of it. And we all know that even sometimes as the 911 call comes in, the call comes in and the dispatchers know this incident has gone too far for help. As a firefighter, 18, 19 years old, I would respond to a house fire, get on a fire engine with 700 or 1,000 gallons of water and you would show up to the house that had caught on fire, but it was too late. Fire can damage not only the contents inside, but if it moves fast enough, it can even snuff out the lifes that are inside the structure. And no matter how much training we had and no matter how much capability and all the equipment we had, we could arrive too late to intervene and to rescue the people or the contents of that structure. It happened multiple times. If you're in fire, EMS, law enforcement, work in the emergency room, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Wow, look at all the hands. So you understand this, you get this. As a paramedic, you would get a call for a cardiac arrest. Someone's heart has stopped beating. You get to the truck as fast as you can, you respond within hopefully a seven minute window and you're there and you walk in the home and there you'll find a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter and life has escaped them and their heart has stopped beating. 
And no matter how much extra training I did, no matter how well equipped my ambulance was, no matter how many people I could bring to the scene, there were some times where I would get to the scene and administer paramedic level critical care for a patient, but it was too late for that person. The, the body had stopped. The heart was not carrying oxygenated blood to the heart and to the brain and to the liver and it wasn't doing anything. It was too far gone. And if I read about Jesus and if I take in who Jesus is and instead of looking to a dainty European painting, if I look to the gospels for who Jesus is, then I see a Jesus who is able to intervene in any situation, any circumstance, no matter how far gone that situation may be to human understanding. And I see a Jesus that's able to reach in and within a breath change an eternity forever. That's the authority, that's the power, that's the capability, that is the character, and that is the essence of who Jesus is. Today, if I go to the Gospels, we're still talking about these events 2,000 years later. Jesus stops a storm. He had enough power and authority over the earth and over the atmosphere and clouds and rain and precipitation that Jesus is able to literally stop a thunderstorm. He's on a boat with his disciples and it's going to and fro. They're throwing up over the side. They're afraid for their lives. They feel like the boat's about to capsize. Look in Mark 4, 39. It'll be on your screen. And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, he talked to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus had so much power that he could control at a breath the very atmosphere that causes weather. Jesus had so much power and authority that even someone sick with a fatal disease such as leprosy could not stand in the way of his deity and his power. Matthew 8, go to the second verse. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, being Jesus, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou can make me clean. The leper came to Jesus and said, I've heard about you. I know what you're able to do. And if you will, you can change my life and make me clean. And Jesus puts forth his hand, touching him. Stop right there. Think of the implications of what's just happened. Jesus is touching the infected skin of a leper. He has so much confidence in who he is because he knows who he is. There's so much authority and capability in who he is that there's no fear. He goes right past the grotesqueness of this disease and touches the man's skin. And look what he says. And Jesus puts forth his hand and touching him saying, I will be thou clean. And it doesn't say after he went to the doctor. It doesn't say after five or 10 days. It doesn't say after a month or five months. It says, and immediately his leprosy was clean. Infection, cellular deterioration, the grotesqueness in the nature of this disease. And Jesus with authority and confidence touches him and makes him whole. That is the picture of Jesus painted for us, maybe not by a European artist or even an American artist, but rather the gospel 
paints this picture for us. Not only did he heal leprosy, but he opened blind eyes. John 9, and Jesus passed by and saw a man which was blind from birth. This man that Jesus is encountering has never seen. He's never seen a friend. He's never seen a plate of food, a color, a shape. He's never seen a sunrise nor a sunset, but he's getting ready to see the Son of God. Jesus goes in verse number six and he spat on the ground and made a clay of spittle and he anointed the eyes of a blind man with the clay. Jesus spits into the mud and makes a mud from the clay that he himself created. Imagine this. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, spits upon the ground and makes a mud mask and puts it on this man's face and his eyes. And Jesus said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Jesus had the authority, the ability, and the capability. His saliva was so holy and so pure that he was able to make a mud mask that would open the eyes of a man who had never seen before. This is a Jesus of great power and authority. Then my favorite, Jesus goes to a place called Bethany. It's very close to Jerusalem. An incredible story there. There was a man and a woman and their sister. Their names were Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Jesus had been told that Lazarus was sick. Jesus, you're gonna have to come quickly. Lazarus is dying. And Jesus comes at a time where he is able to in his perfect plan and will and in his sovereignty, but to Mary and Martha, it seems too late because Lazarus is dead. He's so dead, the Bible says, that he stinks. He's literally rotting in the grave, wrapped in grave clothes. And then Jesus shows up to Bethany, what seems to be too late and he does something that if you go and do today, they will have you institutionalized for doing what he did. And even maybe some of the Jews that were around him, they took in what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was doing, and they thought, what a crazy person. Lazarus is in the grave and he stinks. But Jesus walks up with authority and power. Go to verse number 43 of John chapter 11. Again, it'll be on your screen. And when Jesus thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. What did he say? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead, you gotta understand, he's dead. His body decaying came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Then here's the point. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed upon him. Jesus had the authority, he had the power, and he had the intention that in resurrection, bringing someone from death unto life, that others also could believe and go from death unto life. You've got to understand that Jesus had all power. Jesus has all power. And Jesus will have all power forevermore. And each event that we just talked about, I submit to you was a rescue. It was a rescue. 
Whether it was from a storm or leprosy or blindness or even death itself, it's all a form of rescue. To take someone from a point of peril to a place of praise. That's what Jesus did. And he can do that for you today. You see, at the end of his ministry, Jesus goes to the cross. We talked about it Wednesday night. If you didn't get to hear that message, go back in the archives online and listen to that message. It'll give you a great depiction of what happened to Jesus on the cross. But the Bible says that Jesus had so much authority that while he's on the cross, that he was not killed by Romans. He was not killed by Jews. Rather, Jesus, in a perfect time, in a perfect place, in perfect authority, and in perfect power, gave up the ghost. Jesus said, this is enough. I've come to that place. And now, Father, I will choose to give up the ghost. And Jesus, with you on his mind, died on the cross. If you're hurting, if you're in pain, and you have the ability to change that circumstance, if you have the ability to change that situation, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go take an Advil so you don't hurt no more. If your hand touches a hot stove, I hope and pray you have enough sense to take your hand off the hot stove. You do not want to experience the pain and the agony of the burn. But Jesus, who had more power and more potential to do more harm to his executioners than anyone that's ever existed, he chose to experience the pain. And even though he could make it stop, he did not. That is the love of God richly lavished upon you with an opportunity for rescue. Jesus dies, he gives up the ghost, and then one of his followers who was kind of on the fringe a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph sees the brutality. He sees the marred body of his Savior. And then Joseph says, I've got a place we can bury him. It's close. Let's prepare him to be buried. They put him in the grave. They seal the grave. And then the Romans and the Sadducees and the Pharisees were so nervous about what Jesus had been saying that they put the Roman seal with wax and use a ring to say, now, no one open it, and if anybody wakes up in there, they can't come out. Here's the Roman seal to say it can't happen. And they post armed guards. What foolishness. Had they not listened to the words of Jesus? Had they not been listening to what he said, that he would die and that he would raise himself in his own power? You see, Jesus told them, but did they listen? The gospels say that Mary Magdalene and then another woman named Mary come to where Jesus was buried. And no doubt, Nancy, they want to be close. They want to be close to their Lord and their Savior. They want to stay near his body. They want to mourn him. They want to be near to where the last place they saw him go and be and stay. But when they get there, Matthew 28 tells us of this encounter. Listen to what happens. And the angel answered and said unto the women, these are the women that have come looking, fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, he told you, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And in that place, a neatly folded pile of death clothes the same type of material that he was wrapped in the night he was born to a virgin teenager named Mary. He's now neatly folded it upon the stone table 
and he's not there. Jesus got up. Jesus did not stay dead, nor did he stay in the grave. And that same power, we think of the resurrection and we think of the power, the authority of God. But oftentimes our desensitized minds, we go to a sci-fi movie that we've seen. We've go, we go to a Hollywood issue that we've watched and we try to make it understandable and we take the supernatural and we try to dumb it down to something that we can feel comfortable being okay with. But in all power and all authority, the supernatural that happened there is a supernatural rescue that happened on your behalf. This isn't a folklore. This is not a fairy tale, nor is it allegorical. It's historical. Jesus got up. And that same power that Jesus Used, that Jesus enacted upon, that Jesus possessed himself, that same authority and that same power. It may seem to you that that authority and that power is greatly separated from who you are. Well, the Bible contradicts that opinion. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The Bible is clear. A relationship with Jesus means that the same spirit that brought Jesus up out of the grave is the same spirit that will dwell within you. That's how you can go from death unto life. And at the moment of salvation, at the moment that you believe in faith, turning to Christ for who he is and for what he is, then in faith believing, you will be saved, the Bible says. And that is the point, that is the moment that that spirit kicks out the old man who's dead and on his way to an eternity without God and the new man, the new spirit, moves in and indwells you and it's the same power that brought Jesus back to life that changes the life of every man and every woman and every teenager and young person that believes. Christians are often robbed of the power and the authority given to them in their salvation. It's not just praying a prayer, signing a card, being like a banana and becoming one of the bunch. That's not what salvation is. It's personal, it's surgical, it's strategic, it's Holy Spirit work. And when you come from death unto life, you'll never be the same. That is the rescue that Jesus offers to all people, to all men, and to all women. My call to you today as we close, my plea with every man and every woman, every boy and every girl that's in the building, everyone worshiping with us online, my plea with you today is that you would respond to the rescue that Jesus offers each and every one of you. Some of you simply need to realize that you need to be rescued. You see, the truth is, I say this with all love, and I'm looking in the mirror as I say this, you won't be able to fix it. There's not enough good deeds, there's not enough good works, there's not enough kumbaya moments in life to somehow suffice the debt that is owed by every man that's ever born. See, we're all born with the nature of Adam. We're fractured people. 
You say, oh, you're a pastor. You don't understand what it is to live in reality. There's not a perfect man standing behind this pulpit today. There's a sinner saved by grace standing behind this pulpit today who God called to preach. I'm desperate for his rescue every day. Save me from myself and my flesh, my intentions, my motivations, my desire. The prophet Jeremiah said it best. He said the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. And I ask God daily, rescue me. Keep me from sin. Keep me from harming the cause of Christ. There's some of you here today, you've never been saved. You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. But you've got to understand with all the love in my heart, you're not gonna find a way out on your own. You've got to see that the water is rising and it is rising quickly and soon it will be over your head. It's called life. Sins pile up upon sins, failures upon failures, fractures upon fractures. And what we're left with is no hope. But the good news is you're here today and you're not out of time. You're here today and there is hope. But you've got to realize that you need to be rescued. Some of us need to simply ask God to help us push back the pride of our own self and our own understanding and cast ourselves the mercy of Christ. Understand this, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. But it also says that the wages of unforgiven sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's a promise. As sure as I'm standing here today, I can't change it for you. I can't believe hard enough for you. I can't light enough candles on your behalf. You're gonna have to come to a place where you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. If you would look back, realize that you need rescue, then look back on the failed rescue attempts that you've made. Listen to me. Don't lose me here at the end. The Holy Ghost of God wants to do work in somebody's life today. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Go back in your own life where you try to self-extricate from the situation and the problem and notice with me now that it is nothing more than a revolving door of pain and loneliness and disappointment and sadness and emptiness and loneliness, all the things that just pile up. You'll hear about the next best thing with an antidepressant. You'll call your doctor before you can get home from the hair salon after hearing about it. And you'll take it for a couple days and you'll feel great. And then Friday comes and you're back in the same hole. You say, I need medication. Praise the Lord, take it. You need it. Talk to a therapist, talk to a doctor. Praise God for them. But they cannot replace the peace and the rescue that Jesus offers. Jesus is the supreme solution to those problems. And some of you have gone past all of that and now you find yourself in an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. You're justifying drinking vodka during the day so nobody smells it on your breath. You're a preacher, how do you know that? I've read the stories. 11 years, 12 years in EMS, 
We see the fractures and the broken hearts. 90% of 911 calls are rooted somehow with a sin that got out of control, a pain and a hurt. It's just the fragility of human life. It's who we all are. But look back at what even the past three years has been in your own life. And if you can find places where you tried hard to be different and nothing changed, you turned over a new leaf and nothing happened, nothing can ease the pain, the loneliness, that today's the day. You can receive rescue through and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today, if you realize you need rescue, you can look back at all the past failed attempts in life, then you need to receive today the rescue that's offered. You see, Jesus is the only solution. I know there's a lot of people that think this. JB, they'll say this. There's no hope for my situation. It's too far gone. Too many things have happened. I've said too much. I've done too much. On Friday night of this weekend, I was in a place I shouldn't be taking a drug I had no business taking. I've heard it in my office many times. The good news is if you're here today, you are not outside the bounds of God's capability and his power to rescue you from your place of pain. You simply need to receive the rescue. The Stokes basket of grace and mercy. If you don't know what a Stokes basket is, Google it when you get home. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see when you've taken a fall 50, 75 feet down into a ravine. You think I may stay here the rest of my life. There's no way everybody, anybody's ever gonna get to me. There's no way those firemen can get down here. And then all of a sudden, you'll hear Dan Coward at the top of the hill. Here comes your basket. Here comes your basket. Now all you've gotta do is get yourself in the basket and we'll take it from here. We'll lift you up from your place of desperation. And the night before they crucified Jesus, they held him in a private residence of pain and torture, the house of Caiaphas. And in the basement that's there to this day, I was just there a few weeks ago, was a deep, dark hole that Jesus spent the night in after being beaten and tortured on your behalf. And as they lifted him up the next day to take him for crucifixion, he was being brought up out of the hole for your sake and for mine. And when he gave up the ghost, and three days later when he got up, he offered you an opportunity to get in the basket and get out of the situation. Some of you are simply going to have to receive the rescue and quit trying to figure it out in your own power. Quit trying to say, I'll get right, I'll figure this out, I'll get cleaned up, and then I'll go to and I'll turn to Jesus. No, you've got that backwards. Today is the day. Don't wait till next Easter. You may not be here next Easter if you don't get some help today. God knew that you would need this opportunity. 
and he brought you here to hear the good news, that Jesus saves, that he's alive, and that he loves you personally. And today you need to respond. The Bible's clear, this is where we close. This is the best part. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the power of resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's hope today in rescue of the resurrection. There's hope. You say, I'm hopeless. There's hope. Don't tell me there's no hope. There's hope because of the rescue resurrection. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There's a chance for you to be different in resurrection rescue. And as we open the service in revelation with the words of Jesus, I want to close today with the words of Jesus. John eleven twenty five, And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, that was Winston before he found Jesus. That was Winston before Jesus found him dead in trespass of sin. Yet shall he live. Not because of Winston, not because of the Baptist church, not because of a suit and tie and a beautiful building, but because of the resurrection rescue offered by Jesus Christ. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked you a question and he asked me a question. Believest thou this? There's an opportunity for you to live like you've never lived before because of rescue, resurrection. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I pray over every person that's in this room or worshiping with us online right now. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would begin now to inspect hearts and lives. Lord, for the one that's here today, it's in a place of hopelessness and despair. For the person that's isolated themselves from the world and from friends and family, the person who is drowning in shattered dreams and broken expectations. God, for the one that's here today with a drug problem, an alcohol problem. God, for the one that's here today looking for something that's real and finding nothing in this world that can satisfy the longing of their soul. And Jesus, we pray now in the mighty, capable name of our God that you would change hearts and lives in this building. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that would say, Pastor Winston, I'm taking everything in that you said.
But if I had to be completely honest with you, I'm not so sure if I were to die today or if just like in that song they were singing, Jesus were to come, that I will spend eternity in heaven with him. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Is there anyone here that would be man enough or woman enough just to raise your hand? No one's gonna come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. We just wanna know how to pray for you. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you just slip up your hand? Anywhere in the building. Anywhere in the building. God bless you, ma'am, there on the very back. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? All you have to do is make eye contact with me. We just want to know how to pray. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice to say, Pastor Winston, I know that I'm saved. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die today or Jesus were to come, I have 100% assurance that heaven would be my home. Would you just raise your hand? Amen. Almost every hand in the building. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, I've had some places in my life that I didn't expect would happen. I'm in a difficult place, a hard place. And I need to embrace the truth and the power of Jesus and his resurrection, afresh and anew. I need personal revival. Would you just raise your hand? Anyone here in the building? God bless you. Hands all over the place. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the truth. Everyone can look at me now. Here's the, here's the absolute bottom line. I can do nothing for you. I can pray for you. I can ask God the Holy Spirit to tenderize your heart and do for you what only he can do. But at the end of the day, this is personal between you and God. There were many, many hands that went up that you need personal revival. You want to be close to him again. You want to know what it is to have a prayer life again. Maybe you need your tears back, your burden back for lost people. So on this Easter Sunday, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up these altars. And we're going to come pray. And if you're in need of rescue, I cannot make the words for you. But if you'll just simply come and ask him for help, he'll hear you. And he'll do business with you today. Let's stand all over the building. There were many hands that went up. Deacons, leadership team, Sunday school teachers. I want you to meet me in the altar. And let's just pray for everyone that's here today. Altar team, if you would be on the lookout for some folks that need prayer help. If you raised your hand today that you need personal revival, there's something in your life that needs to change. I invite you now, come and pray. Miss Amber's gonna sing. Everyone here is invited to go into the chapel, the privacy of their heart, and ask God to do what only he can do. Miss Amber.